papers are biased, the Idaho Press Club are biased, all media, newspaper, radio. To be completely blunt here, Brian, and there are plans to expand indoctrination. That's right. Well, Idahoans are also concerned. Horror shot. That line would be moving a little bit farther west. I'm like crying. Nobody wants to Dark see. Dark money is influencing policy in our state. Well, that's not how this works. Well, hello there and welcome to Nowhere to Hide. I'm Brian Hyde and uh, I'm sad to report that uh, we have a crisis of meteorological importance, a, uh, a climate of fear and an atmosphere of uh, doom has apparently descended upon us and it's being pushed in large part by our mainstream media. In fact, I'm gonna give you some very clear examples of how this is pushed and and share with you some, some tips that you can use as you see reporting that comes along and you notice how so many stories are about, oh, it's climate disaster, climate apocalypse, You know, we've gone from global warming to global boiling and so forth. There's a very clear effort behind this, uh, this particular approach to uh, shepherd us into a particular corral in which we give more of our money and more power to the political class to save the planet, to save the climate. Isn't it funny how that works out? Yeah, the, the more money and power we give them, the, the more likely they are to save us. So I want to start with something here. And I, I have to admit, you know, from, from the get-go, this one is an editorial that was published in the Idaho Statesman. But it is a classic example, as you will see, of, of how uh, climate is being uh, trained into reporters and how you can work it into stories. And, and particularly, there's some, some angles that you may find kind of familiar, as in they're, they're a little bit on the woke side. And just see if you can spot this. So we start with, uh, this was a tweet that the Idaho Statesman sent out. The frightening images are on the nightly news, but missing is coverage of how smoke impacts marginalized communities and the role of climate change. All right, well, they got some, some good talking points there. So let's delve into the editorial itself. And again, this was, this was uh, published by, or this was written by El Von, Vondo Cooper, published in the Idaho Statesman earlier this week. The Northwest is choking on wildfire smoke. Residents deserve better national coverage. In other words, the propaganda needs to be stronger. And, and look at the call for propaganda here. Before moving to Tacoma, Washington in 2018, I'd never experienced wildfire smoke, but in September 2020, I vividly remember stepping outside to the smell of burning wood and the taste of ash. A thick orange haze had settled over my neighborhood, a smoky blanket suffocating the life out of the vibrant early fall days. Now, the author here goes on to talk about how... Um, in 2023, smoke events have become all too familiar during wildfire season in the Pacific Northwest and increasingly across the country. By the way, that's not wrong. There's been a lot of smoke in Washington state and in Canada. And yeah, there are some pretty serious wildfires going. Now, can we tie that to climate change? Well, let's let's read on and see why, uh, at least in the opinion of this writer, you know, he or she, he or she is saying, um, well, we definitely should. The Tunnel 5 fire, which has burned more than 500 acres in southern Washington, is just the latest wildfire to threaten homes and businesses here. But the story we're missing amid these recurring apocalyptic scenes is the untold health burden from wildfire smoke, particularly in its pernicious effect on socially marginalized communities. Virtue signal received. Okay, so we're going to talk about this, but it's got to be from a social justice standpoint. So here the editorialist says, despite numerous studies showing how wildfire smoke contributes significantly to public health problems, this narrative, meaning how it affects, you know, uh, disenfranchised communities, is often missing from national news discourse, especially when it comes to discussions of who bears the brunt of this burden. 
A Media Matters analysis found that national TV news shows aired a combined nine minutes of coverage about the heat wave that scorched the Pacific Northwest in May. Now, to me, it seems like there's a lot of reporting on this. In fact, today, even as we speak, um, uh, Maui is burning from wildfires, and it's bad. It's, it is really some just stunning, shocking you know, footage coming out of Maui, Hawaii. But, uh, you know, the complaint here is we're not talking about it enough. None of these stories, says the editorialist, mentioned climate change. And during the more than three and a half hours of national TV news coverage on June 7th of the Canadian wildfire smoke event that created dangerous air quality conditions for large swaths of the East Coast, not only was climate mentioned just 15 times, the coverage also rarely contextualized the prohibitive cost of mitigation for socially marginalized communities. Wow. Is that... uh, is that budding bureaucrat speak or what? The prohibitive cost of mitigation for socially marginalized communities. Uh, are we saying that this was preventable? That this never should have happened, or at least it shouldn't have affected those communities the way that it did? Okay, moving on. The similarities between heat waves and wildfires are alarming. Both are climate disasters, both have grave health impacts, and both disproportionately harm the most disadvantaged among us. Media narratives fall short of capturing this inequality. Again, this is this is classic social justice, left-wing hand-wringing. The flames, evacuations, burned structures, and apocalyptic skylines make headlines. Well, why wouldn't they? I mean, if we're trying to sensationalize things, you got to admit, that's a, that's a pretty big sell. This is not just a reporting failure, but a clear demonstration of how the news media neglect their responsibility to highlight the broader social implications of extreme weather events. It's past time for news outlets to harness their considerable influence and do more than report the obvious. <laughs> I think that instead of obvious, maybe they could have used the word facts, which would allow us to kind of decide, okay, is there some some ideological conclusion we could come to or do we need to be steered into it? Obviously, this editorialist thinks that we need to be steered into it, you know, directly. Our collective engagement with these issues. Oh, collective, you say? Fueled by comprehensive reporting propagandizing, can pressure policymakers to take meaningful targeted climate action, implement more socialism, more collectivization, more central planning, yes, aimed at sustainability and resiliency. I'm sorry. I, you know, I can't help but run it through my filter as far as every bit of this is calling for more power in the hands of government and, and more control being given to those who purport to govern. But but again, this is to extend to the climate itself. And I just don't buy it. I'm just not there. And and I'm sorry, that makes me a climate skeptic, which by the way makes me a, a pretty bad person, I guess, in, in their eyes. Now going back to this, these are the un, they are the unseen victims of these increasingly frequent and devastating disasters, they being the marginalized communities. Their struggles neglected even when the media direct their fleeting attention to the existential crisis of our time. It's not just a matter of, hey, this, uh, this could be a problem or this is an inconvenience or is there a way we could do things better? Oh, no, it's an existential crisis, meaning anything goes. Their stories, hardships, and resilience cannot continue to be obscured in the climate narrative. Only by acknowledging the full scope of these climate disasters can we take the first step toward meaningful action. Now, if you were just reading this, assuming that you read the Idaho Statesman, it probably wouldn't jump out at you as anything other than, oh, okay, they're very concerned about, 
you know, climate change as it relates to smoke or as it relates to, you know, wildfires and some of the impacts that they can have. And by the way, I'm not minimizing. It's really inconvenient to go outside and breathe in lungfuls of smoke. But that affects anybody who goes outside, not just those with skin of a particular color, of a particular particular sexual orientation or particular economic status. It affects everybody. But again, we're, we're dealing with left-wing activism, so there has to be established some kind of an oppressor-oppressed relationship because that's leftist ideology in a nutshell. So here is something that I hope you will find a useful tool to help you spot when weather reports, when, when the media does deign to cover this. And by the way, I think they cover it a lot, especially you know the heat waves we've seen over the summer. Have you seen the apocalyptic images, the, the apocalyptic report? Why, oh, this is crazy. I mean, we had a congresswoman say this is the hottest temperature recorded in 120,000 years. Wow, I didn't know they were recording stuff back then. Accurately, apparently, and keeping records. Grug, did you uh, did you see what the temperature was doing? Yeah, Grug, you know, chisel on stone. It was uh, this much centigrade. Blah. No, not even close. Not even close. So, D. Parker who has a, a sub stack that I would strongly recommend if you want some thought-provoking content, check out D. Parker's sub stack. It's just dparker.substack.com. Does it seem like every news story lately is on climate doom? That's not an accident. And here's what he's talking about. There is uh, an organization out there that has uh, sought to help the news media more effectively report on climate. It's the initiative of the Columbia Journalism Review and the Nation, proudly announcing four years ago title, uh, a work titled Covering Climate Now. And it's an actual website, transforming the media's coverage of the climate crisis. It quickly amassed more than 170 news outlets from around the globe to ram this propaganda down our throats. And it triumphantly announced climate stories are everywhere. Now, wait till you see some of the suggestions. And then you're going to start to recognize, oh, my gosh, I see this. I see this on a fairly regular basis. So, for instance, in reporting on uh, on heat events, instead of waiting for an extreme heat event to begin or end before publishing coverage, create awareness in advance, both seasonally and before a projected heat event. Raising public awareness around impending risks can enable them to take preventive action. In other words, get out there in front of the story. So if it does get hot, well, look, it's climate change. Now, of course, if it gets cold, you can also say that's climate change. Isn't that, isn't that convenient how, you know, you can, no matter what happens, oh, it's all climate change, not just global warming. Instead of showing scenes of crowded beaches, swimming pools, or fountains, show people struggling in the heat and its negative and dangerous impacts. Now, it used to be when you would see reports on, okay, uncharacteristically hot temperatures, you know, plaguing the Treasure Valley or plaguing the Magic Valley or whatever, they would show people, you know, splashing in the water, people, you know, going out there trying to cool off, people sitting in the shade, fanning themselves or whatever. But now it's, it's got to be, you need to do this more apocalyptically. How can we create, create a climate of fear if the news media doesn't report it? Images that show people enjoying hot weather by spending time at the beach or the pool Hide the serious risk that many people face during during hot weather, and often contradict the serious tone of the negative of the narrative. Rather, so <laughs> you've got to you've got to make this look as bad as possible. All right, what other advice do we have? These are these are ten tips of best reporting practices when it comes to climate reporting. Again, watch for these. Maybe you've maybe you've witnessed some of these in some of the climate stories that you've seen just of late. Number one, say yes to the science. There are not two sides to a fact. Where have we heard this before? 
The science is settled. Do not argue with the science. The science, the science. By the way, how many of those 97% uh, of climate scientists who agree that uh, global climate change is a real thing and it's human caused, how many of them receive paychecks from a government entity of some sort? Just asking. Because it just might be, and I'm just saying on, on the side of human nature, it just might be that they have a very strong incentive to uh, report things in such a way that their paycheck is secure. I think most human beings could understand that. Number two, the climate crisis is a story for every beat. You understand what they're saying here? Work it into everything. At its core, the climate story is a science story. But whether you cover business, health, housing, education, food, national security, entertainment, or something else, there is always a strong climate angle to be found. Oh, my gosh. They're, they're, they're worse than CrossFitters. They're worse than vegans. They're worse than multi-level marketers. There's always an angle where you can work this into a conversation. All right. Can't wait to be invited to lunch by, by a real, you know, serious, you know, climate activist. Number three, emphasize the difference, the experiences rather, and activism of the poor, communities of color, and indigenous people. Environmental justice is the key to the climate story. By the way, anytime you see the word justice with another word before it, in other words, a qualifier before it, it's not real justice. It's some kind of manufactured justice that increases your obligations to government, just so we're clear. Number four suggestion in uh, climate reporting practices, ditch the beltway, he said, she said. Number five, avoid doom and gloom, which is kind of counterproductive, right? Aren't they supposed to be making us afraid enough that we abandon common sense and just go with what they're saying? Number six, go easy on the jargon. Number seven, beware of greenwashing. I'm not sure what they mean by greenwashing. If that's just, well, you know, things uh, like this happen naturally, there are cycles or whatever, but apparently it's a thing. And we need to be aware of it. Number eight, extreme weather stories are climate stories. Now listen to this. The news is awash in hurricanes, floods, unseasonable snow dumps, record heat waves, and drought. They are, no, they are not all due to climate change. But the increased frequency and intensity of such extreme weather certainly is. Help me understand that distinction without a difference. Now, they may not be tied to climate change, but they are. Okay. Thank you for, for clarifying that for us. Number nine and 10, jettison the outdated belief that climate coverage repels audiences and loses money. In other words, you know, damn the propaganda, full speed ahead. Um, maybe people don't want to be force fed this, but by gosh, we've got to do it. And look at number 10. For, for God's sake, do not platform climate denialists. We understand as well as anyone that opinion pages occasionally need to push the envelope with unpopular takes. But there is no longer any good faith argument against climate science. And if one accepts the science, one also accepts the imperative for rapid, forceful action. By the way, rapid, forceful action, does that mean lawless or without limits or something? I mean, it's, it really seems to be an ends justifies the means kind of approach to climate. Do you see this kind of stuff in, in the way that uh, the, the media reports on climate? I certainly do. And they actually have a little thing here about uh, making the climate connection. I thought this was interesting. Concern. I'm unsure how climate change is responsible for this event. Reality. Direct attribution to a single incidence of extreme weather is possible, but it's tricky and can take time. Science is nevertheless explicit that climate change sets the conditions for extreme weather to be more likely and worse. And that's a fact you can include in your reporting right now. That, that sounds like some uh, high school level sophistry. Well, yeah, maybe you can't connect it directly, but it sets the stage for what we're saying is happening.
All right, then. Concern, I don't want to seem like an activist. The reality, climate change is critical context for understanding extreme weather. It's not activist to mention it. It's accurate. <laughs> okay, this heat wave is exactly the sort of extreme weather that scientists around the world associate with climate change slash a warming planet. All scientists or some scientists? I mean, they don't really make the distinction. This hurricane comes at a time when human-caused climate change is consistently making storms like it more intense. I'd like to see a little bit of homework or at least some proof on that other than just stating this as some kind of self-evident fact because I don't believe it is. You can also try an analogy or turn a phrase, they tell us. Climate change isn't solely to blame for extreme weather, but it stacks the deck against us. That's scary. It's baked in with our weather and often a key ingredient in the outcome. So we might be able to find a, a you know, tenuous kind of attachment or, or connection here. It supercharges normal weather patterns like steroids. Oh, a performance-enhancing drug for the weather. My gosh, that's the scariest thing ever. And here's a special tip. Emphasizing the human impacts of extreme weather can help drive home the significance of climate change. If you're covering how an extreme weather event is affecting marginalized people, especially, be sure also to note that this characteristic of cli this is characteristic of climate change, which evidence shows will impact the poor, communities of color, and indigenous groups first and worst. So there you have it, little uh, good old-fashioned fear-mongering advice for your local news outlet, along with a dose of guilt in the form of uh, social justice drizzled over the top, just to make sure that, you know, you're really going to do what you're told because, doggone it, this is too important and, and nobody should be doubting what we're saying here. At any rate, I'm, uh, I'm not convinced, not so much from the fact that I know the weather is changing. There are cycles in, in the Earth's climate and in its weather, and, uh, you know, it's... I, I don't think it's outrageous for, for people to, to point out, you know, there's a time when uh, the Arctic and the Antarctic were not cold, polar, ice-covered places. I mean, if you want to look into a polar shift, like the shift of the magnetic pole, there's some really interesting information out there. Now, there's a great deal of speculation, too. There's a lot we don't know about our planet. But when the solution always comes back to give us more money, give us more power, that's a pretty safe bet. You're dealing with power seekers and opportunists and not so much dealing with the science or at least an objective point of view that this sincerely is trying to solve a problem. This sounds like people who are trying to attach their agenda to what's going on around us, regardless of what it is, and through, through very tenuous connections as to uh, how it all fits together. All right, shifting gears. What is it about the issue of abortion that just is so... It's so absolutely driving for, for so many leftists in Idaho. I mean, Idaho's law is strict. There's no doubt about it. It is not a simple matter of, oh, well, I came up pregnant. I guess I better go take care of this down at the abortion clinic. Um, it's not that easy. And frankly, I, you know, because I, I am on the pro-life side. I'm, I'm adopted. I've adopted a child of my own. I understand that there are pregnancies or there are some times where um, the, the, the birth mother cannot raise or cannot be expected to raise the child. And there are plenty of opportunities and people out there who are more than willing to adopt children. I think that that's a much better way to go. But, man, you know, you tell people, hey, we don't want to make abortion, you know, as, as casual as going to get, you know, a bite down at McDonald's. And they freak out. And, and so here's the latest, uh, the latest shot being fired in the war against abortion in Idaho. The state faces another lawsuit on abortion laws. This time it's from educators. 
Now, this is an interesting story in that, uh, you know, what what exactly relation do ed- exactly what re- relation do educators have uh, with with abortion and abortion laws? Other than it sounds like there are a number of educators and again, coming from within the education establishment, which it looks like increasingly is dominated by left wing activists. It starts to make a little more sense. So, well, if we can't be preaching this or advising or trying to counsel people on it on the taxpayer's dime, somehow a great injustice is taking place. Ruth Brown from Idaho Report says the state faces another lawsuit over its abortion laws, this time coming from the higher education faculty unions. Oh, the teachers unions. Well, suddenly this makes a little more sense. The leftist of the left wings. Okay, the lawsuit filed Tuesday includes university professors and unions from the University of Idaho, Idaho State University, and Boise State University. They claim Idaho laws impede speech by a public employee, including during instruction and research at the state's public universities. All right, well, that sounds like a pretty serious uh, consideration with the First Amendment at all. The lawsuit targets the No Public Funds for Abortion Act passed by the legislature and argues professors are under threat of criminal punishment for discussing abortion. Now, I'm going to quibble over the word discussing and ask, is is it about discussing? Because sometimes it would come up, I would think, in the course of classroom discussion, depending on what the, the topic is at hand. If it's for advocating, if it prohibits them from advocating or otherwise trying to counsel people on it, I think that's absolutely an appropriate uh, thing to do is to not to not let them advocate for it on the taxpayer's time. You want to do that on your own time? Great. Go volunteer. Go go out on the streets and, you know, find ways to, to proselytize for your beliefs. But don't do it when you're in a taxpayer-funded classroom. This uh, lawsuit apparently names Attorney General Raul Labrador as defendant, as well as the Ada County, Bannock County, and Lataw County prosecutors. The NPFAA has stifled free and open academic inquiry about abortion across Idaho's public universities. Professors who previously taught, discussed, or wrote about abortion no longer do so, according to a copy of the complaint. Now, again, is this really just, you know, this broad gag that, no, you can't even say the word abortion? Because it has been kind of a habit on the left to exaggerate, right? Not teaching kids, uh, you know, the sexual practices of sodomy and so forth. Well, that scene is, can't say gay. You can't say it. No, you can't teach children deviant sexual practices on the taxpayer's dime and in public schools. That's what that was all about down in Florida. But they, they come up with these catchy little phrases. Oh, you can't say gay. You can't talk about abortion. That doesn't strike me as, as a reasonable reading of the law. And, you know, to, to make it sound like, well, of course, you know, we live in a handsmaid's tale. And therefore, you know, anybody, any professor or teacher who so much as says the word abortion is facing felony charges. I don't believe that's the case. But uh, that's what they're making it out to be. I'm sure there are sympathetic judges and certainly ACLU attorneys who would be very happy to take the case. But uh, we'll see where this goes. Again, it just it illustrates that that uh, almost obsessive concern with if we cannot take this innocent life, if we cannot avail ourselves of abortion on demand, Somehow the world is turned upside down. And here's the irony. You got to see this because uh, this is a this is actually a tweet from from a reproductive rights reporter. Perhaps you're familiar with uh, Kelsey Mosley Morris. And uh, she was bemoaning a p- car pedestrian accident up in Ada County a few days ago. Could we just go one week without killing a pedestrian around here? Apparently a kid was hit by a dump truck and and died. Now that's tragic. And look at the concern she has. Can we just go one week without killing a pedestrian? Oh, the, the concern that she has for this this life that was taken, this this young socialist that I, I'm sorry, I don't know if that was that was her reasoning, but 
Where is the same concern for the innocent life being carried around inside an expectant mother? Somehow it just doesn't extend that way. Well, we're very concerned for people once a week and line them up to vote for democracy, our democracy, as they're so fond of saying. But, uh, you know, as, as far as innocent life in the womb, yeah, that, that concern is, is nowhere to be found. In fact, it's, it's seen as a weakness. It's seen as, as an imposition of, of full-on tyranny to, to even suggest that, hey, that innocent life has value and, and we ought not measure its value on whether it's convenient or not. Once you start down that path, old people, people with chronic illnesses, people with, with uh, mental disabilities and so forth, suddenly they're up on the chopping block as well. After all, well, you know, their life really doesn't have that much value or, or meaning. That slippery slope to eugenics, it seems like there were some folks who tried that a few years back. I don't think that they were on the right side of history, and I don't think we would be if we continue to uh, try to follow down that path. This makes me think about uh, an observation I saw. I thought this was kind of a clever meme. If you're familiar with the, the John Carpenter movie, um, They Live. If you remember the, the hidden symbols that were all over the place, you put on the glasses and you can see the signs. One of the signs was marry and reproduce. And someone just points out, daily reminder, the aliens and they live are less evil than our current overlords. Well, I'm reluctantly going to have to agree with that. <laughs> so keep your wits about you. Keep your morals about you as well. And understand that, yes, there are people who will try to milk your emotions and try to shepherd you into their corner or into a corner of their choosing using fear, using uncertainty, using guilt. Right. Oh, think of how this is affecting the marginalized communities. Don't you feel guilty? Because if you do, you probably should do what I say. Now, how about this? How about you think for yourself, exercise great caution and weigh anything that anybody tells you, including me. And then uh, you come to your own conclusion. Once upon a time, there was there was almost a sense of pride. In fact, there was an ethical sense of, you know what? The right thing to do here is we report the facts. You make your choice as to whether you know, this is a good thing or a bad thing or whatever. You you made the conclusions yourself. That's not the world we live in anymore. So if you want to be a clear and independent thinker, you really want to claim your mind as your own, that's some of the heavy lifting you're going to be required to do. I'm Brian Hyde, and this is Nowhere to Hide. Reporters are biased, the Idaho Press Club are biased, all media, newspaper, radio. To be completely blunt here, Brian, and there are plans to expand indoctrination. That's right. Well, Idahoans are also concerned. Horror shot. That line would be moving a little bit farther west. I'm like crying. Nobody wants to Dark see. Dark money is influencing policy in our state. Well, that's not how this works.